Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, and this is a recap of what has happened so far after the Brazilian election against Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, the extremely short version is that on Sunday, October 30th, Lula, uh, the opponent to the incumbent Jair Bolsonaro, won narrowly. Bolsonaro and his supporters did try to pull some illegal stuff, but it didn't work. Bolsonaro has yet to actually fully concede against Lula. Uh, he has yet to fully admit that he lost the election, but he is apparently allowing a transition of power to happen behind the scenes. Uh, I delayed the release of this episode pending Bolsonaro's speech about this, which is why this is coming out in the afternoon and evening of Tuesday, November 1st. All right, so just to remind you and set the stage about what was going on, right up to the election, this was not looking good for Bolsonaro. He and Lula were essentially neck and neck. Uh, Lula mostly ahead, like ahead pretty handily, but only by about one or two percent. Bolsonaro had been beset by some serious self-owns, including uh, some of his supporters, who included former legislators in the Brazilian Congress, pulling guns on people and also on the police, like shooting people in the street, using grenades, things like that. There's a scandal where he was pictured at a Masonic lodge. The Masons are extremely unpopular in Brazil and associated with, you know, atheism and pedophilia and, you know, conspiracy theory stuff, stuff like that. There was also a scandal in which he, you know, said on a podcast that he spontaneously ejaculated upon seeing an underage Venezuelan sex worker in Brazil. Uh, so yeah, just like a lot of a lot of really stupid mistakes that he made. Uh, a lot of people consider the standoff between his ally Roberto Jefferson and the police in Rio de Janeiro to probably be the nail in the coffin in his electoral attempts. So. This leads us up to Sunday, October the 5th. Elections in Brazil are like very quick. They happen in one day and the numbers are released almost immediately. The polls close at 5 p.m. Brasilia time, Brasilia being the capital of Brazil. On the morning of the 30th, a bunch of stuff started to happen. Uh, stuff that looked like and arguably amounted to a coup. This was related to an organization called the RPF, uh, the Federal Highway Police. Now, the Federal Highway Police in Brazil, the RPF, uh, engage in a series of operations, primarily in the northeast of Brazil and also along a major thoroughfare in the Rio de Janeiro area. Uh, this thoroughfare is called the Avenida Brasilia, which is it's sort of like a combo highway and major street. Specifically, what they are doing is setting up blockades on major roads, they are stopping buses, they are demanding to see IDs, they are just like waylaying passengers and people, they are trying to reduce traffic on the roads. Specifically, they are stopping people who live in rural areas from getting to polling places. And in Brazil, rural people typically have been voting for the PT, uh, for Lula's party. They're trying to stop people who live in Lula voting areas from being able to get to the polls by 5 p.m. So they're setting up blockades, they're stopping roads, they're stopping bridges, uh, they're stopping buses, they're demanding IDs, they're, they're, you know, they're really harassing people. Again, the locations which they picked were specifically and transparently chosen to affect Lula voters. The leader of the RPF, uh, a man named uh, Sinevi Vasquez, 
is a known Bolsonaro supporter. He has tweeted openly about how people should vote for Bolsonaro. Uh, he has business and other sort of like quasi-corrupt ties with the Bolsonaro family. Again, as a reminder, this guy is the leader of a national police force, openly endorsing a right-wing candidate and engaging in voter obstruction on his behalf. The RPF admitted that they planned this event, that they planned these series of blockades the day that they saw the results from the first round of the vote. And when they saw the polls that were coming in showing that Bolsonaro was going to lose by a relatively small margin. They had even been ordered by the TSE, uh, the Tribunal Superior Electoral, uh, the like Superior Electoral Court, which is the highest Brazilian judicial body relating to electoral law. This body was incidentally formed in 1932 in the wake of the 1930 coup that installed Getulio Vargas's term in Brazilian politics. Uh, Getulio Vargas was actually the president at this time in 1932. So the RPF, by saying that they planned these blockades, that they planned these maneuvers in the wake of the first round of the Brazilian election, is tantamount to admitting that, you know, they were just engaging in voter obstruction in order to prevent Lula voters from getting to the polls. Vasquez went so far as to sign an order to the RPF at about 3 a.m. Uh, on the morning of the election, on October 30th, saying that the RPF was going to go ahead with their blockades, ignoring specific orders from the uh, Supreme Electoral Court. So this is, again, the leader of a national police force, an ally of Bolsonaro, openly saying, I am defying the court and I am going to obstruct voters. So again, to be clear, a cop who is the leader of a national police force and who is an ally of Bolsonaro intentionally, openly, publicly denied a court order and went ahead with his plan to blockade voters from an opposition candidate in an extremely tight race. The clear purpose of these activities was to prevent Lula from being reelected. On the 30th, as people are learning about this, it's all over the place in Brazilian social media and in some other languages, although it was never covered particularly extensively. Let the Northeast vote was trending on all sorts of social media in Portuguese. The Northeast, again, being the locus of these voter obstruction activities because it is the center of Lula's base in the country. The Northeast is one of the poorer regions in Brazil. It is also one of the regions of Brazil that is predominantly populated by people of color. Vasquez, the leader of the uh, Federal Highway Police, has been brought before the court in order to explain himself on the 30th. He kind of explains himself. Essentially, he claims, you know, yeah, this was a routine set of activities, blah, 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 blah. There's a little sort of quick investigation about it. Meanwhile, uh, a lot of people, commentators, and also officials from the Workers' Party, from Lula's party, are calling on the extension of the vote. They're calling on the electoral tribunal in order to extend the vote. By this point, it's about 3 or 4 p.m., uh, and as a reminder, the polls close, hard close, at 5 p.m. The leader of the electoral tribunal, uh, a man named Alexandre de Moraes, says that the obstructions by the federal highway police didn't impede anybody from voting and that there will be no extension. That comes in at 4.30. So at this point, people are freaking out because it's it seems seriously possible that these obstructions could shave off just enough votes from Lula in order to prevent him from being re-elected president. And this was the leader of the top electoral court in Brazil, 
saying that they didn't do that, that they were irrelevant. This means that if those efforts had succeeded, if they had kept enough people away from the polls, it would have been a very soft, passive coup that would have had the legal sanction of the highest electoral court in the country. Meanwhile, Vasquez himself, the leader of the federal highway police, is beginning a process that will eventually lead him to being uh, probably charged criminally, although uh, as of today, when I'm recording this, November the 1st, that hasn't happened. So the clock ticks over. It is now 5 p.m. The polls have closed. Votes start coming in very quickly. Brazil counts its elections very, very fast, like, like within a couple hours. And within a few hours, it's obvious that Lula is going to overtake Bolsonaro. This comes uh, after the first hour or two of counting votes because these rural areas are a little bit slower to count their votes. And again, by a little bit, I mean like a couple hours, not like, you know, several days or weeks like in many elections in the United States. Importantly, the Northeast, which is Lula's stronghold, still votes overwhelmingly for him. Ultimately, by the end of counting on October the 30th, it's clear that Lula has won the election. He has won a little more than 2 million votes over Bolsonaro. Uh, this is about 1% of the votes cast. So Lula is at 50.9 and Bolsonaro is at 49.1. Joy immediately erupts in most of the major cities in Brazil. Uh, a lot of major cities are completely blanketed in Red fireworks, red being the color of PT, of the Workers' Party, of um, Lula's party. World leaders congratulate Lula and say that they are going to, you know, that they're looking forward to working with him uh, in bettering the country and the world and the region. Uh, this is no surprise because Lula has been president before. He actually knows a lot of these people, right? Protests immediately begin on behalf of Bolsonaro voters once it becomes clear that Bolsonaro has lost. Uh, they start to blockade streets. Uh, specifically, there are a lot of truckers blockading roads and highways. Uh, a group of Bolsonaro supporters blockade the main international airport in Sao Paulo, Gorujos. Uh, this would be like if they blockaded Heathrow or O'Hare or JFK or something. This is like a big deal, stopping a lot of the biggest, most profitable international flights from entering and leaving the country. Bolsonaro, as his supporters are clamoring for him to say that the election was stolen or clamoring for him to do something or just like venting their rage, Bolsonaro, who is known for being a, you know, uh, firebrand, wildcard, who just says whatever he wants and, you know, often digs himself into a hole, uh, Bolsonaro is uncharacteristically completely silent. He doesn't post on social media. None of his family posts on social media. None of them are appearing anywhere at all. And this is extremely unusual. The Bolsonaro family is probably only outclassed by the Trump family for their use of social media to directly engage with their supporters. Bolsonaro waits an entire two days to speak to the public. He waited until this afternoon, uh, November the 1st, uh, he waited essentially almost 48 hours to speak to the public. When he does speak, he spoke for all of 90 seconds. He began his speech by thanking his supporters and counting them all, 58 million of them. He says that the current movements of protest, that is people protesting Lula's victory, come from them being upset with, quote unquote, the electoral process. He says that peaceful protests are always welcome. Uh, but that they can't use what he called the tactics of the left. Uh, by this, he means the more disruptive protests, uh, saying 
simultaneously like, hey, stop blockading the airport, you'll get us in trouble. And also trying to say that that form of protest is exclusively on the left, you know, trying to uh, link this disruption with the left when in fact it's right-wing people who are doing it. He then uh, continues the rest of his speech with a bunch of like general shit about, you know, how his supporters are for quote-unquote order and progress. This is the official motto of Brazil. It is on the flag. He then continues and finally says something that's arguably of some kind of substance. He says, you know, that quote-unquote against the words of his detractors, he always works within the rule of the law, specifically saying that he has always followed the Constitution. And what he says is that now he will continue to abide by what the Constitution tells him to do. He will complete his constitutional obligations. And that is the end of his speech. He turns around, thanks everybody, and leaves. So, notably absent in this speech is any admission that he lost to Lula. All he said is that he will abide by his constitutional obligations. However, shortly after his speech, his chief of staff says that he was told, that is, that Bolsonaro told his chief of staff to begin the process of presidential transition. Because also, like many other countries, Brazilian inauguration happens relatively soon after a president is elected. It is expected that Lula will take office on January 1st of 2023. However, paying attention to exactly what Bolsonaro said and exactly how he has comported himself, you know, a lot of observers that I have spoken to and a lot of people that I have read and also my own thoughts lead me to be um, a little bit nervous because Bolsonaro did not concede his loss against Lula. He did not admit that he had lost the election. He did not tell his supporters to accept the loss. All he said was that he was going to abide by his constitutional obligations. Now, that could be him trying to leave quietly, you know, trying to wash his hands of the crazy supporters that he has, trying to prevent himself from being attached to further violence uh, that might tarnish any future political career he has. Or it could be him leaving the door open for some sort of greater challenge or for being able to claim in the future that this election was stolen from him as part of a bid for power on his behalf, on the behalf of some of his allies or possibly even his children who are themselves involved deeply in Brazilian politics. So that is where things stand as of now. We will see in the next couple weeks whether or not Bolsonaro actually tries to do anything to prevent Lula from being inaugurated, if he, you know, quote-unquote, pulls a Trump, or if he is going to try to, you know, actually abide by the Constitution and fade away. But, you know, in a sort of like sulky, take-my-ball-and-go-home type capacity without congratulating his opponent for his victory. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. You can reach me at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com, hist of the right on Twitter, or fascism15 on Twitter. All right, thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week.